0: Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We are going through a series uh, on the book of Luke. Uh, Jesus, Salvation for All is the name of the series, So you might well done Sharon, you are right on to that, good stuff. Now that's the series you're up to, it's a wonderful picture of uh, Luke, a doctor, writing a gospel account, like a short biography of Jesus, uh, 2,000 years ago, mainly spanning three years of Jesus' life and ministry at the end of his life, and today we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 9, but just before we get there, uh, who knows the name Jim Elliott, a few hands may go up. Jim Elliott, 1956, uh, was an American missionary who, at the tender young age of 29, uh, was murdered by cannibals in the Ecuador jungles while attempting to build a relationship with these guys, ultimately to share Jesus Christ with them. Uh, really, really powerful story. Uh, you can... Um What's the name of that film? End of the Spear. End of the Spear. I was trying to think of another one. Yeah, it's a great film, uh, but uh, mainly about Nate Saint, but Jim Elliot's right through that as well. That whole story, a great story. Uh, Jim Elliot, that was a man with very powerful gospel convictions that actually drew him to go to the Ecuadorian jungles and do that. Uh, Jim Elliot also, with these really powerful and deep gospel convictions, made this statement based upon those convictions, and he said this: uh, "He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep." to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot had a really clear view of who Jesus Christ is, what it cost to follow him and what he stood to gain by following Jesus Christ. Namely, Jim Elliot gained Christ and eternal life. We're going to look at that today as Jesus is going to call us down Uh, The road of discipleship here in Luke chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles, please go to verse 18 in chapter 9. And we're going to read there through to verse 27. Starting at verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much that you've given us this passage. Thank you so much that you've given us the Bible. God, thank you for this living, eternal word. Thank you, God, that you've sent your spirit to unveil this truth into our hearts and our minds today. Lord, as we explore here uh, this discipleship chapter as Jesus is calling his disciples down the road of discipleship, of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following after you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just uh, uh, unveil this deeper into our hearts and minds and to see what it is to embrace Christ, to embrace the road to Calvary, to embrace the cross and to know the joy there is in doing that amidst the trials and struggles and challenges that come with it. We ask for your help now, Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 9 is one of those really powerful discipleship chapters in the Bible. Jesus is explaining and teaching here about his mission, and then he calls his disciples to follow him down a similar path as he is taking. It's an invitation to follow him to Calvary. Uh, Here's our big idea today as we sort of shape around this. Uh, To find life, we must be willing to follow and obey Jesus selflessly by dying to self and boldly confessing Jesus as our Lord. To find life, we must be willing to follow and obey Jesus selflessly by dying to self and boldly confessing Jesus as our Lord. Okay, uh, in the start of this passage here, uh, Jesus asks probably the most important question that we could ever, ever answer in our lives. He asks here, who do you say that I am? He kicks off as he's having this discussion here with the disciples. But before he gets to there, he actually asks another question. He says, but who do the crowds say that I am? Now, Jesus isn't asking this to sort of gauge how popular he is or just to make sure his image is intact by how many followers he's potentially got at that time. Jesus is asking these questions here to actually angle towards revealing himself to his disciples. The crowds, though, they are in awe of Jesus. Absolutely. Uh, he's feeding them. He's just multiplied fish and loaves of bread prior to this. And he's healing all of their diseases so they're, everybody's getting well. And Jesus is even stirring up the priesthood a bit as well and actually you know, causing a bit of uh, disruption there. So the crowds are liking that. They think he's a good bloke. All the crowds can think of that maybe he's someone who's risen from the grave, John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets of old. But then Jesus pauses... And now sharpens that question more personally towards the disciples. Looking directly at his disciples, he says, Who do you say that I am? As we see there, Peter has this stunning answer. Absolutely stunning answer. The Christ of God. Now I say a stunning answer because Peter is saying this. Mm -hmm. You are God's anointed one. You are the saviour for all of God's people. You are the one who will establish God's kingdom here upon earth. This is a really big statement that Peter makes here in just confessing that who is this Christ? He is the, who is Jesus? He's the Christ of God. Now if we get perhaps a bit of background that will help us um, move in the direction we want to go to here, the Jewish understanding of the day is that the Messiah, the Christ of God, the Anointed One, would be the one who would come and re-establish God's kingdom in power. It was to come and actually re-establish the uh, kingdom of God uh, with Israel being the centrepiece, with Jerusalem, as it were, being the capital of the world where every other country would be bowing to the knee of the Israeli, uh, the uh, Jewish world of rule at that time. For them, they understood this idea of the Messiah here. It was all about power, victory, uh, rule and world domination when this Messiah would come for the nation of Israel. But Jesus uh, confirms here by saying, who am I? That he's the Christ of God. In the backdrop of what they're thinking here about what that may mean. Jesus goes on though next, and probably what he said next would not have registered with the disciples at all when he said this. It probably would have sounded like gobbledygook. When the next thing that Jesus says, and here's what he says here, straight after the confession of Jesus is the Christ, Jesus says this in verse twenty-one and twenty-two. He says, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, in the context of what the Jews are thinking, they're saying, What are you talking about, Jesus? this is not in the script this is not how the story goes this is not what we've learned for decades and centuries a Jewish synagogue with our history what do you mean Jesus we're not meant to tell anybody about you because he's charging strictly don't tell this to anybody Jesus says don't breathe a word of this to anybody but isn't this the best news in the world that we've discovered the Messiah why are we not passing this on they're probably confused by that and didn't get it But the next thing that Jesus says in in verse 22 really does fly in the face of all the teaching they've heard down through the ages uh, from a Jewish perspective. God's anointed, the Christ, is going to be rejected by the Jewish leaders, he's going to be killed, and then he's going to rise from the grave on the third day. That's not what they're expecting. That's not what they're looking for they've learned down through the centuries for a conquering king. A king who will actually re-establish this rule. But Jesus says, "Yeah, I'm a king, I'm the Christ, I'm the anointed one, but I'm a suffering king. Not a conquering king in the way you're thinking of this. I'm a suffering king. In this sense, the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, it's an upside down kingdom in comparison to the world. The world thrives on conquer and victory and power but Jesus is doing this in a totally different way. My victory, his ultimate victory, will be through suffering and through death. This is God's plan. This has always been God's plan. Jesus, the son of God, has come to be the sacrificial lamb that will take away the sin of the world. This is the Messiah that God has appointed. Jesus the Christ was always destined to suffer a very cruel death. Since the beginning of time, this has been what the plan would be. This Messiah would come in this way. That Jesus, the Lamb of God, he would know what it is to suffer and what it is to die before entering into his glory. The path for Christ was a Roman cross. The cross was always going to be the centrepiece of God's glory in revealing himself to this world actually showing himself glorious beyond all comprehension through the cross, which confounds human wisdom. But God's ways are way higher than ours. The disciples don't get this. And we wouldn't have got it either if we were there. If you went to the end of the chapter, you'd see in verses 43, 45, it's just they didn't get it. It actually says there they didn't get it. Completely missed it. So, Jesus, you are a king, got that, you have a kingdom... But the path to glory for you is going to be the path to a Roman cross of extreme torture and death. Penny hasn't dropped with these guys, but Jesus takes it on even further. And what he does next is like he throws a hand grenade into their thinking next by saying this. You're also going to follow me on that same path. Have a look in verse 23. He says there, and he said to all following on, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Very powerful words that Jesus is saying there. Let's think about what he's saying. We'll just take it a few words at a time to to grasp what Jesus is telling us. Firstly there, if anyone would come after me, Jesus is saying, I'm a king. And if you want to come into my kingdom, if you want to follow me into my kingdom, if anyone would come after me, that's what it is. I'm a king, I've got a kingdom. You want to be a disciple of mine? Then this is the pathway through this world that we are now in to come into my kingdom. Next one he says, let him deny himself. On this pathway, on this road, let him deny himself. So what does that mean? Do I have to live a life of total self-denial? Do I have to go and sort of find this secluded place in the hills and bake my own bread and make my own clothes and just you know live that sort of life of absolute self-denial? Is that what Jesus is saying there? Because some people see that like that sometimes. That's what they think it is. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here when he says this, uh, let a man deny himself. Jesus, in talking about denying himself, is talking about us denying our self-rule. We don't rule ourselves anymore. Under the lordship of Christ, he is our ruler. Life isn't about me anymore. I'm not the centre of my life in denying myself. Jesus is talking about his total lordship over our lives. We don't rule ourselves any longer. We are now ruled by the Christ of God, Jesus. How might that look? How does that work itself out perhaps through our lives? Well, what we have going on inside of us is a competition of desires. We have a competition of desires moving around inside of our mind. Uh, We have, you know, these desires can be sparked sometimes by outside influences Things that we might see in TV, things we might see elsewhere, or what we're hearing. All these images and things are coming in our mind and they're actually triggering desires within us. And some of these desires are really good, God-honouring desires at times. Uh, One of them could be like this. I have a desire to go to my next-door neighbour and mow their lawns because I know they're really sick at the moment and I actually want to do a loving thing for them. That's a great desire. But at the same time, sorry, the only day that I have available to go and mow my neighbour's lawn, a bunch of my friends, good friends of mine, who said, hey, we've arranged a four-wheel drive trip into the mountains that day. Do you want to come four-wheel driving with us? Now, I love four-wheel driving. That's a good thing to do. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But the only day I've got available to mow my neighbour's lawn is the same day that my friends actually all want to go up to the hills to go four-wheel driving. What will I do? I can do a loving thing for my unsaved neighbour who's sick and go and mow their lawns or I can go forward driving with my friends. What have I got? I've sort of got a competition of desires happening in my mind. What will I do? Living in Jesus' kingdom will see me deny myself of a good desire. It's not a wrong desire, but it's not a desire that needs to be fulfilled like going 4 driving in the mountains on that particular day self-deny myself, I'll actually deny that desire and i will make another choice. And that choice will be actually to go love and serve my sick neighbour, mow their lawns, show them a really loving, kind act and hopefully that leads to an opportunity to share the gospel with them. See, I'm seeking to follow the desires that bring maximum glory to Jesus. Sometimes I've got to deny even good desires, for a higher and perhaps a better desire that's one form of self denial here's another one that we might we would deny ourselves i come to church and i have a desire to catch up with my friends that's a, that's what we do it's a great desire we come here and we want to do that it's called fellowship and community a really really good thing to do but as i arrive at church what do i see i see some first time visitors on the other side of the room on the other side of the building and looking across and they seem really uncomfortable They seem really alone. They seem a little bit awkward because they're sort of just standing there and there's no one catching up with them. But as I arrive at church, my friends are standing over there that I want to catch up with and say hello to. And the visitors are standing on the other side of the church. My heart goes out to the visitors because I can see that they're awkward and they're alone. This is their first time here to perhaps a strange place. My heart goes out to them. But it's so much easier to catch up with my friends Because I could just have an easy, free-flowing conversation with them. What do I have? I have this competition of desires. One's like the easy path to do something which is good, but I've got this other heart pulled towards these visitors over here, and I want to go see them. So what do I do? Self-denial that honours Jesus says... Go and talk to the visitors. Go and love them. Go and actually welcome them, engage them, make them feel really welcome and warm. And maybe even go to the next level and ask them out to lunch after the service to really engage them. Because after all, I could catch up with friends at another time. But I'm denying myself, not a wrong desire, it's a good desire, but actually to do a higher desire to honour and to glorify Christ. What's all that about? In this self-denial, it's not about serving me. It's not about serving myself. It's actually about serving others ahead of myself to make Jesus look great. Which flies in the face of the world we live in. The world tells us life's all about me. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says actually deny yourself and serve others. It's about honouring Jesus Christ as my Lord. Next, Jesus says this about walking his kingdom. It is to take up your cross daily. What does Jesus mean by that when he says take up our cross daily? Well, firstly, take up my cross doesn't mean this. Oh, I've got a really stubborn husband. That's my cross to bear. Or... I've got this really filthy boss. That's my cross to bear. Or, I've got this long-term sickness. That's my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Because anybody, whether you're a believer or not a believer, you're going to have all those things plaguing you and troubling you in your life. That's not the cross that Jesus is talking about. The cross means death. The cross means dying to my reputation, dying to my pride. The cross means dying to the world's ways and means and not allowing this world to get its grip on me to pull me down its pathway and its road. Take up my cross means living a life that boldly proclaims Jesus. Here's how I see it. Have a look in verse 26 for a bit of context here, just for the first few words that Jesus says. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words. A really important word in that verse there is the very first word, for. It connects what Jesus is saying there back to what he talks about in taking up my cross. All that passage is one uh, line of thought there. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words. You see, bearing our cross is daily living boldly for the gospel in a world that rejects and doesn't want Jesus as their Lord and their King. Bearing our cross is actually showing the gospel out through our lives. How might that look? Maybe again, it's uh, bearing the cross could be in a conversation amongst their friends or workmates and they ask us, what do we think about this current government? What do we think about these corrupted laws and these, you know, what do you think about it? And all their talk amongst your group where you are there is just how corrupt the government is, how much they hate the leader and just haven't got a good word to say about him at all. So how am I going to bear my cross in that when they say, Todd, what do you think about the government with all that sort of atmosphere of hate and venom that's going on there? Well, how does the gospel answer that question? How do I bear my cross through that? hey guys, yeah, you know, I, I may not agree with everything the government does, but yeah, you know, I actually pray for them. And I respect who they are and the position they're in. That's bearing the cross. Why? I mean, you're actually saying, I, I pray for the government. I'm actually doing something good about what Jesus has told me to do, which is to pray for governments. Bearing the cross means making a stand for Christ and being willing to be ridiculed or mocked for doing so. The easy choice the easy choice in that situation is just go with the flow with the rest of that conversation, just jump on the bandwagon and let's just bash up the government. That's the easy choice, but that's not what the gospel calls us to do. The gospel calls us to respect those in power, even though we may not agree with everything they say and do, and to pray for those who are in power, not to go and join with the crowd and bash them up, Verbally, that is. Bearing our crosses. no. We, we pray for the government. Other examples. The culture of today continues to lower the bar on sexual ethics and standards. It's not going up in the world we live in. It's actually going down, down, down. Sex with who you like, when you like and how you like is the culture we live in today. So how do we respond to that if we happen to be in a conversation where that's going around? Or bearing a cross will have us saying, "Hey, sex is a wonderful thing that God has reserved for the safety and covenant of a marriage, and nowhere else." That's bearing a cross in that particular conversation, putting ourselves out there, nailing our colours to the wall, or flying our flag for the gospel. Or this: business ethics can be a challenge for us in the world we live in today across a whole number of fronts. Maybe the team you're working with uh, in your particular division at work, they want to do a shifty on the work records. Okay? And you're part of the team, so you need to go along with falsifying their work records just to make sure they can look good in front of the boss's eyes. You're part of the team, and everybody's doing this. They get to you, and you've got to sign off as well on that. So what does bearing across mean when it gets to that situation? It means actually saying, guys... I can't do that. I can't do that. I've got to be honest. I want to do the right thing. I mean, I follow Jesus and he calls me to live this life of honesty and that's what I want to do. That's bearing a cross and speaking about it in that particular way. It's actually flying the flag of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Bearing a cross means making a bold stand for Jesus no matter where and no matter when in any and every situation of life, bearing the cross. You see, what's happening is we've got this competition of desires going on inside of our mind. As a Christian, my heart is inclined to want to honour Jesus. My heart has been changed and his gospel is shaping me and I have these desires taking me in that direction to honour him. But at the same time, with this competition to desires, I live in this world that's heading in a different direction and going in a whole other pathway. The world's heading away from God, not towards God. And the world I live in keeps telling me this is where life is. Come and join with us. This is where you find fulfillment. This is the place to be. See how much we're enjoying life? Come and be with us. It's a different set of desires that are happening within us. This is the the war that we have or the battle that we have with these desires. And Jesus here is saying, uh, deny ourselves, take up our cross, actually do battle with these desires in our mind. And Jesus actually follows on here with this really powerful statement actually reflecting just that very statement. Verses 24 and 25, he follows on and says this, For whoever would save his life... Will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What do you mean here, Jesus, when you say that? To save our life in verse twenty four is is as it were to save face in this world. We don't want to look odd we don't want to look different in this world so we want to save our reputation we want to to keep that intact we want to save our life as it were and then we just go with the flow of this world around about us we just sort of fall in sync with what they're doing because we don't want to be that odd person or that uncomfortable fit Jesus says no Jesus says no don't do that if you do that you'll lose your life, your real and ultimate life. But Jesus says, if you're willing to lose your life, your reputation, or you're willing to look like an odd person in this world for Jesus' sake, he says you'll gain your real life. You'll gain eternal life. Losers are keepers. If you're willing to lose, you'll keep. If you want to keep it, you'll lose. Jesus is saying losers are keepers. Being a Christian in this world isn't cool in the way the world thinks of cool. It isn't. We're odd. We don't fit in completely with the culture around about us on many fronts. If someone's telling you become a Christian because it's a cool thing to do, it's not a cool thing to do in the eyes of this world. It actually flies in the face of this world in many, many fronts. Jesus goes on to say this in verse 25 as well. What will you profit? I'm just paraphrasing here. What will you profit if you pursue and gain everything this world has to offer? Your whole life is wrapped up in this world with all of its pleasures and all of its leisures. What will you gain if you do that? What will you profit? Well, Jesus says this, you'll lose your soul in the process. If you just consume your life with filling up and everything this world, you will lose your soul in the process. 70 or 80 years of earthly pleasure, but giving no thought whatsoever to who Jesus is and the call upon our life through Jesus. What does he say we'll get for that? He says we'll get this, an eternity suffering in hell cut off from everything forever. Really simple words, what Jesus is saying, but just powerful, profound impact. Talk about a rotten deal. Gain everything in this world, but lose your soul in hell. It's got to be the worst deal on the record, hasn't it? Here's the sad fact. Millions of people are running down that road as fast as they can. 68,000 people living around here in the Greater Shepherd area, they are running down that road, chasing everything this world can give them, but forfeiting their soul at the same time. Jesus says, Don't mindlessly throw your life away in this world, forfeit it by trying to fill up on everything this world can give you. Jesus finishes now with this really sobering and powerful statement as a were, just to keep reinforcing his point here. Look what he says in verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of him or her when I return on judgment day, is what Jesus is saying there. Just, just take that in for a moment. You should read that, and it should just... Take your breath away for a moment. For whoever is ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of him or her on judgment day. Just imagine the scene. Jesus is there. The Father is there. The heavenly host is there. It's all happening and you're there. But you've been ashamed of Christ by denying him all through your life and he's going to be ashamed of you. I really think at that moment, you're not going to care about your wardrobe of clothes. I don't think you're going to care about what sort of car you're driving. I don't think you're going to care about the next holiday you're planning on going on, if you're in that moment where it's all on the line. That stuff won't matter a zip at that precise moment. What's Jesus doing here in this passage? Really strong, sobering words. What's he doing? This is discipleship 101. This is gospel discipleship that Jesus is calling us into. Jesus is telling us that the path of following him in this world will be a struggle, it will have difficulty. The path of following Jesus in this world will involve levels of suffering and trial. The path of following Jesus in this world will have you looking like a square peg in a round hole. Jesus is just putting it out there. Following Jesus won't see you as just a really nice, easy, natural fit into this culture and community around about us. Not on every level, but on many important levels. It's discipleship 101 here in Luke chapter 9. But please, please don't hear me wrong about this. We don't go through this trial or through this sacrifice or through this challenge or through this pain or through this type of suffering to earn anything with Jesus. It's not about earning something with Jesus by going through that. So don't don't hear me thinking, have I got a do it really hard and then, then Jesus will give me salvation if I do these really hard things. Jesus is not saying that. What he's saying is this. Purely for identifying with Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, this is what you will experience. These are the things that you will go through at different levels. Also knowing that we're not called we're not called to go out and to look for this rejection or to look for this odd fit and somehow intensify it in our lives with graceless or loveless Christian living and then sort of make ourselves this martyr for Jesus. We're not called to go out there and look for more rejection and then like try and intensify it by doing a loveless deeds towards people. God's not telling us to do that and Jesus is not telling us to do that. If you just live an authentic, gospel centred life, honouring Christ, denying ourselves, take up our cross, doing that with all the grace and the love that you can possibly muster that God gives you as well, and do that amongst your community, you'll soon see, just like we should, that we'll have a cross to bear. It will just come at various times. We just we don't look for it. Just live the Christian life and it'll find us. How will we do this? Where do we get this strength and conviction from to live this life, to embrace this call? Where does that come from? Well, I think it goes back to Jesus' initial question here with the disciples. Right back at the start, he says, Who do you say that I am? How you answer that question makes all the difference in how you approach discipleship have to ask yourself, have you answered like Peter did at the start of this? You are Christ the Lord. If God's given you that revelation, if that's truly your answer, then this is the road that Jesus invites you down. Down the Calvary Road. To embrace the cross. To embrace its shame. To embrace the challenges that the cross brings. Jesus invites you and I if we are truly acknowledging him as Lord and Saviour, to walk this path with all the ridicule and the rejection that may come with it. This is the Calvary road that Jesus asks us to walk with him. But we don't do it alone. We don't do it alone. We travel this road with Jesus we travel this road through the one who strengthens us and empowers us every step of the way as we walk down this because he's walked that road before us we actually walk calvary's road with joy it's an upside down kingdom look at what jesus said uh, look at what it says in hebrews here about jesus hebrews chapter 12 therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run not limp not hobble let us run with endurance the race that is set before us how do we run? looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the what? who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Is rejection easy? Is ridicule easy? No. Can it be joyful? Yes. Why? Because Jesus has gone that path before us. He calls us down that path and we get a great joy in actually glorifying him through that rejection, through that ridicule. And he says there, let us run that road with endurance. Let us run that road looking to Jesus, the author and the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is the end game of discipleship. Jesus Christ awaits us to welcome us into his perfect, glorious, heavenly kingdom forever and ever. But it's wonderful that he actually gives us the heads up right now that this is what discipleship looks like. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today as we uh, come to this uh, wonderful passage here in Luke chapter 9. God, we thank you today uh, for what you've done through your son Jesus. Rescuing us, saving us, going to the cross, bearing all of our sin and guilt and shame and condemnation. Exchanging that, Lord, Uh, with your righteousness given to us as a cloak and a garment that we carry and wear today that we are perfectly righteous in your sight because of who Jesus is and what he has done our sin has been put away but Lord you leave us in this world to glorify the name of your son and to walk this world now uh, with a whole new set of desires with a whole new heart looking to glorify Christ which doesn't fit with this world where we live And you tell us, Lord, to expect challenge. You tell us, Lord, and call us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross. But you don't leave us without the power to do that. You do that through your word and through your spirit. You do that through your word as we see today what Jesus has done for us. Lord, I pray, please help us gladly, joyfully to embrace the cross, to not be ashamed of Jesus that we would stand on that great day boldly proclaiming Christ still and he would lovingly call us his very own. Lord, for today for those who've been in those conversations where the gospel has been on the line to some extent and people have backed away in fear or backed away in cowardness, Lord, God, I pray please restore them. Please give them the grace to step up again. And to know that you are the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, every chance. Help us today, Lord, to embrace this cross, to embrace this road, so that you would be honoured and glorified in our lives and we would be built strongly in you, Lord, to enjoy all that you are and all that you've done for us. Today, Father, we ask and we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.